Welcome to the 200th episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey, and joining me in person in the same room for maybe the first time ever? I think so. Is this seriously the first time this we've ever actually recorded a podcast? Together. Yes. Wow, that is ridiculous. Holy crap. I know. Yeah, I love this. Yes, Nadia Oxford and I are here at PAX East in the most immaculate lavish incredible recording studio we have ever been in it's just really amazing yeah we're trapped between a closet and a washroom and uh just like leaning in hard enough for the microphone to make out with it nadia don't break the illusion okay (laughs) we're in a really expensive place guys it's really awesome the audience doesn't want to know that we've got a microphone sitting on top of a valkyria chronicles 4 limited edition box and a copy of uh a a book (laughs) and my ipad (laughs) What book was it? It looks interesting. Uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 by Hunter S. Thompson, because I'm oh, a friggin' really? nerd. Yeah, exactly. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah, we really wanted to record this podcast before we ended up leaving, but that didn't end up working. And then we're like, okay, well, we're going to give this a shot recording in person, because it's a special occasion. Uh-huh. 200 episodes under our belt. Yeah. By far the most I've ever recorded with Acts of the Blood God. And I was just like, all right. Let's give it a shot. Screw it. Let's do this together. Mm-hmm. We are all in this together. You've been with me for a lot, a lot of episodes at this point. Well, I was there for 100, and it's like, I don't remember when I joined before that. Hmm. Yeah, I was going all the way back into at least 2016 or so, yeah. and it was kind of a whim that I was just like, uh, you know, like, Nadia and I seem to have a lot of chemistry, and, like, I always enjoy having her on, so we should, I should just make her my co-host so that I don't have to think every week about who I'm going to bring on the show. <laughs> That's right. And I think it's ended up working out really well. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really fun ride, and uh, mm. I hope uh, everyone enjoys it as much as we do. Yeah, we've had a lot of really, like, fun episodes. We did the Chrono Trigger Report. Yes. We did the Final Fantasy Seven, or no, not the Final Fantasy Seven <laughs> Report. Let's do that. I was only dreaming that one. We did the Final Fantasy Nine Report. Yes, we did. That was good, too. Yes, and what else did we do? Oh, we did the Persona, Persona 4, 4 report. That was a big one. That was a good we one. We did the top 25 RPGs of all time. Yeah, finish that up today. We recorded, we, re- we reviewed a lot of RPGs mm-hmm. over a period of time. We, we, ranged, uh, we harangued Fallout 76 and Anthem and... We praised Dragon Quest XI to the moon. Yeah, I'm just going to say that I that's what I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? The the Switch version, you might like that when it comes out. Yeah, no, I think I will, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like revisionist history. Yeah. I also think I turned a lot of people on to Super Robot Wars. I think you did. You, you definitely have a small little fan base going on here. And by a lot of people, I mean at least a dozen. <laughs> yeah, there's dozens of us. Dozens. Ten, tens, tens of, of people. <laughs> have written to me and been like, Kat, because of you always rambling on about Super Robot Wars on Acts of the Blood God, I'm going to play it now. There you go. Now you have your own little robot cult. Yeah, I I like my robot cults. Yeah, all glory to the robot cult. All glory to the robot cults and the Blood God. Uh, So yeah, let's talk about what we're going to do today. Mm -hmm. So to commemorate the 200th episode. So with episode 100, we talked about kind of our RPG origin stories and why we liked RPGs so very, very much. Mm -hmm. Uh, With episode 200, I was thinking, okay, well, we're coming to the end of the top 25 RPG countdown. So Mm -hmm. now is as good a time as ever to just go through the bests. Yeah, the best of the best of the best. The best of the best of the best of the best of the best. And I'm talking about the best music, mm-hmm. the best developer, the best director, the best RPG protagonist, 
And let's, let's just all knock it out. Yeah. I suspect that. So I had Nadia come up with her answers, and I came up with my own answers as well. I suspect that our answers are going to be pretty JRPG heavy. A little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, but uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it balanced out. <laughs> <laughs> Good. You can, you can cover for me here. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, there's uh, RPGs have such a rich history mm-hmm. in, the, in video games in general. They go all the way back to the very dawn of the medium. Yes. So many video games are have their roots in Dungeons and Dragons, right? And wizardry and all of that. It's at the it comes up all the dang time. And it said it said at the very core of the genre. So it only makes sense that, you know, we'd be able to go back a long long darn way when mm-hmm. we're talking about this. But and okay. we do. And then of course after we've picked the bests, we're going to finish off the top twenty five RPG countdown, which will be very exciting. Yes. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's a it's a mystery what this game could be. <laughs> it is a mystery. Yeah, there are many, many options as what could be number one in the top twenty five <laughs> RPG. It could be countdown. anything, guys. Yes. But if you are enjoying Acts of the Blood God, well, you should subscribe to us. Uh, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do us a favor and leave a review on iTunes. It, it really helps out the show. And, of course, follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot, not at Naughty Oxford. You can reach me at cat.bailey.usgamer.net. We always read a uh, the letters at the end of the episode. Yes. Yes. So if you want to have your voice be heard, you can send me a DM. Sometimes I read the DMs. You can send me a note at cat.bailey.usgamer.net. Or you can send, uh, or you can leave a comment on the show notes, mm-hmm. and I will totally read it, and it will be very good. Yes, okay? we, we like our comments very much. Okay, Nadia, let's get on to the main topic of episode 200, from which we are recording from this luxurious closet. <laughs> you said not to break the illusion. You just in a hotel room somewhere in Boston. They wanted $250 for, like, a room to record in. It's like, nah, we're gonna... That's we're gonna complete bullshit. It was total bullshit. I'm not gonna pay them $250 for the luxury of sitting in their closet. I'm gonna sit in a different closet, thank you very much. Yeah, like I said, the blood god provides. The blood god does provide. Yes. Okay. So, let's talk about the absolute bests of the, I mean, RPG history. And, mm. and there's a lot. There's, um... So, the very first category is... The best RPG story. Nadia, what is your answer? What is the best RPG story of all time? Uh, I'm going to be predictable and say Suikoden 2, I think. Really? I think so, yeah. Just, um, uh, I am, again, very JRPG heavy. I I admit that. But um, I was thinking something of something when I was writing up Suikoden 2 and how it really combines... The political with the fantastic. And in this, uh, the way we are now, we all love, like, well, some of us love Game of Thrones, which is very much the same idea. It's like, here's kingdoms at war, but here's a goddamn dragon. And Suikoden 2 is a lot of that, and I think it's very compelling. Uh, We've talked at length, of course, about this whole thing in our our Suikoden 2 episode, so please listen to it. We have Schreier on as well. And, uh, yeah, uh, I only wish that the translation was a little better, uh, but one thing I wrote about is how... Even though the translation is terrible, the story doesn't suffer so much for it. And I think that that's a sign of a really good story. Yeah, if you look at the way that, I mean, first of all, the dynamics between the three characters, it's definitely a tragedy. Yes. Of uh, Shakespearean 
proportions between the two protagonists. I don't know if I go that far, but yes, <laughs> who are who are good friends and then end up having that friendship broken. Uh, I I just did a Retronauts about Final Fantasy Tactics, and they have right. a kind of a similar thing going on there, as well as Tactics Ogre. It's it's definitely a trope in JRPGs. It, it definitely is, yeah. Because I was thinking about, well, you know, Final Fantasy Tactics. Also has a really good story, but I'm more familiar with Suikoden too, so I went with that. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a some kind of Shakespearean story in which two friends are very good friends, but then political differences and backstabbing and everything ends up pulling them apart, making them into enemies. I think Othello was like that a bit. Yeah, it sounds about right. I, I apologize. I, I'm not as literary as I like to make myself out to be. I really- <laughs> Well, I just read. The, I just like re- I was required to read Shakespeare in high school, so we read all a lot of all it. of the English majors around here are totally turning in their graves. So. <laughs> With the dead, what do we do? <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I had to read Shakespeare in college or in high school, by the way. And you know, we read. Um, I read A Midsummer's Night Dream in uh, high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, did you like that one? Was it a good one? Actually, no. Sorry, uh, it wasn't. Um, I was th- going to say, oh, I didn't like a Midsummer's Night Dream, but that wasn't it. I didn't read that. I read Twelfth Night. I didn't like that. Oh, Twelfth Night was interesting. I saw that actually on stage. Really? Did you? Yeah, it was. Uh, and the thing that I really liked about it, interestingly, was that they went full Shakespearean in that they had men playing all of the women's parts. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's like yeah, that's really r- retro. <laughs> they really went all in on it. Normally, I'd be, like, kind of rolling my eyes at the idea of, you know, women having their parts stolen. Yeah. But it also resulted in men wearing extremely lavish Shakespearean gowns. Yeah. <laughs> Weren't you just saying yesterday you were talking about kids in the hall and you were, like, uh, saying something about how... Uh, Dave Foley in a dress. Dave you know, Foley in a dress, dress covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. I'd be, like, flipping through the channels and be like, whoa, what's going on? Okay, I don't even want to know. <laughs> And I just started cracking up when you said that. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So I, I think Suikoden 2 is a strong choice for yes. the most part. I mean, it certainly has probably one of the greatest villains in RPG history. Right. In Luca Blight, as we described. And he has an incredible death scene. And there's, there's a lot of politicking. Uh, it goes very big in the way that it tells its stories. There are clashes of nations and armies and all of that. And a multitude of different characters, but then also a very deep and personal tragedy and a, a bittersweet canonical ending. As, as far as I'm concerned, the ending where he ends up alone, that's the canonical ending. Yeah, I, I don't take the whole shonen, like, we're all friends again. And we're all friends! Yeah, yay! No, we're not. Yeah. Everyone's dead. Okay. So the story that I picked as the best story in RPG history is... The story that we just talked about, which was Planescape Torment. Yeah, okay. I was thinking, you know, I was thinking you'd probably pick that one because we really went over it. Yeah. So we'll get maybe a little bit into it in the mailbag when we uh, talk about that in a little later because I think the fans have uh, some comments that are really like crystallized and everything. I mean, it it is a game with a laughing skull and everything. Yeah. But yeah. It's a deeply philosophical story that explores the nature of life death, reincarnation, Mm -hmm. the different relationships between people, uh, cruelty. uh, Somebody said that it kind of deconstructs the Dungeons & Dragons alignment system. (laughs) It really does, doesn't it? Yeah, which was really interesting because when you're being evil in in that story, you are being straight evil. Right. And in many ways... It's a, it's kind of a black hole because no matter how hard you try, you're gonna die eventually. Yeah, yeah, that's the outcome. And the question is, 
can you go to your grave accepting it or can you go to your grave kind of not accepting it? Yeah, yeah. And there are so many just ways to approach any given story. The role-playing is so strong in that game that the sheer strength of that story really overcomes the uh, kind of middling combat. Yeah, yeah. Which is another sign of a really good story when you have something that... When you have a, a story that's so good it covers up for a problem, like, for example, the, the flawed translation in Suikoden 2. Yeah, I think that's one of the things. Uh, I often think, okay, should I, think, should I take a localization into account? Mm-hmm. Because when I look at a localization, uh, I see that as not the real story. The real story is in the original Japanese. But, of course, when we are consuming that story in English... Like, that's how we see it, Yeah, right? exactly. So I think the localization has at least a low bearing on it. But at the same time, like, and I don't know, I, I can't really tell you, like, how good the writing is yeah. in the original Japanese. Maybe exactly. it's amazing. I don't For know. For all we know, it could be great. Although I have seen a lot of exclamation marks in the Japanese text. Yes. So that's still there. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. So, and, and I'm... I don't know what good Japanese writing looks like. Yeah, I'm, I've always been like, I always find that... Um, uh, Japanese novels. I used to read a lot of them when I reviewed manga. They were always very dry. Mm. And so I, I just figured that's the way Japanese writing is most of the time. Yeah, I don't know what a good, a really sharp turn of phrase in Japanese is yeah. like, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, Planescape Torment has a lot of them. Right. And uh, it endeavors to answer some really tough and interesting questions about the very nature of who we are and how we can change as people. Mm-hmm. And it's just really good. <laughs> it it doesn't really fall in kind of into kind of the tropey behavior. Right. It doesn't really it, its cast is uniformly excellent. Yeah, I, I think that Planescape Torment's story is so strong that it propels that game to number two in the top twenty five RPG countdown. Yes. Therefore it has to be the best story. So, as point. for some runner-ups, I think Valkyrie, Valkyrie Profile has an amazing story. Uh, I mean, it in some ways it's a little cheesy in that you know she yeah. finds her true love and everything. But I like the story of death and resurrection, of recovering your memories, of learning not to be a pawn of Odin and that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, Chrono Trigger has an excellent story. It does. It's a very uh, very shonen story, but a lot mm. of fun, and it still has its dark moments. Witcher 3 is, if you want to talk about Game of Thrones-style politicking... Oh, yeah. <laughs> heckin' go. good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So these are all very good RPG stories. And yes. I, we, we've talked from time to time about how important are RPG stories, right? Yeah. And I've said in the past that it's like, oh, I mean, give me really good systems, and like an Etrian Odyssey or something, and I can ignore the fact yeah. that the story isn't very good. But I think... Either one, if they're so good, they can just completely elevate an RPG. Yeah. If you get both. Oh, that's perfect. Yes, no, exactly. And that's why uh, Chrono Trigger is so good. It's like the systems are excellent. Uh, The systems are on point. The story is amazing. Uh, It's a great RPG, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you look at uh, The Witcher 3 combat maybe not so good story is amazing mm-hmm. etrian odyssey story is non-existent yeah <laughs> pokemon has amazing mechanics story's non-existent so oh, well, yeah. I'll, don't I'll, tell I'll me that one. there's lore in pokemon no there's not really much lore except for really scary uh pokemon pokedex entries sometimes you read them like what the hell 
Okay, it is time for the best RPG soundtrack. That's a tough one. This is going to be tough. Okay, so my choice for the best RPG soundtrack is Final Fantasy VI. Okay, so I, I had to think about this one really hard. Yes. I thought about the original Mass Effect. Yes, that has a great soundtrack. Which is has such a wonderful ambient electronic uh, soundtrack that kind of brings to mind Blade Runner a little bit. It does, yeah. It's like uh, I haven't played much of uh, Mass Effect, but I do listen to the soundtrack. It's just really good. Yeah. So many Western RPGs uh, treat their their music as kind of background yes, noise. Yes, background noise, definitely. Like The Witcher 3 has a very good soundtrack. But it's, it's, you know, kind of like very gentle yeah. Celtic music with like a little bit of vocals and everything. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, they did the same thing for uh, Breath of the Wild, which was very mm. divisive. I, I, I liked what they did. Uh, I, I, I actually like the way that they approached Breath yeah. of the Wild. Because when they were using the music, it was really effective. It was, like when you're riding the horse. And uh, I just love listening to like at nighttime the, the sounds of nature around mm. you. That was pretty great. And the tones, right? Where... You start the game, and there's that little doo doo. Yeah, you know. of course. Yeah, they, it's you. The sound design in that game is really effective. Yeah, it's outstanding. So, so when I look at Final Fantasy VI, uh, first of all, it has some of the greatest tracks in RPG history. Yeah, you know? no contention there. Yeah, Terra Seam is amazing. It has it makes incredible use of leitmotifs. Uh, I know that. Uh, Uematsu has said that he kind of got a little bored of the character themes, which is why he got away from them in Final Fantasy VIII. But I respectfully disagree with the master. I agree. Uh, I I totally disagree with him as well, because especially since not just Final Fantasy VI, but like, uh, I think Eris' theme is still very powerful for Final Mm. Fantasy VII. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to say that one of the greatest video game composers of all time (laughs) is wrong in this assessment. Uh, You're wrong, dude. Yeah, but... The character, the individual character themes were all so well done. They really were, and so like tuned to each character. Like I still mm. love Shadow's kind of like you know uh, spaghetti western samurai ninja theme. Like it's so great. When I started playing Final Fantasy VI again on my SNES, I was I think we talked about this in our top twenty five ent- t- RPG entry for Final Fantasy VI, where I was taken by the fact that there were three different variants of Terra's theme. Like, yes, immediately. Yes. right, and they were all worked really well. Yes. Each was suited for what you were doing at the time. Yeah, like there's the one where that plays when she's walking through the snowy field. Yes. That's kind of uh, kind of almost in a minor key. Yeah, it is, definitely, yeah. And then there's the one that plays when you're entering your name, and it's just sort of very simple. It's a very simplified version. Yeah, and it basically tends to play when she's conflicted about something most of yeah. the time. And then there's the one that plays on the overworld, which is much more upbeat. Yeah, that's it's really good questing music. Yes. So, I mean, just that song alone yeah. is amazing. But then there are tons of other, like, one of the ones that I think gets ignored a little bit is the music that plays when you're fighting Atma Weapon. That's where, a great song. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you go from, uh, it kind of reminds me of the battle in the big bridge, right? Yes. Where you go from really good boss music to suddenly, like, oh, this is next level. Yeah, like, this is your fucked music. This is, <laughs> look at the size of that thing. Yeah. Holy crap, I must be near the end of the game, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. So, and then 
I mean, of course, the fact that they made the opera scene work. Yeah, that's still incredible. I mean, come on, yeah, right? Yeah, it's like every time I play a video game, my mom's like, oh, is this the one with the opera? Because she loves that, that damn opera so much. And then the coup de grace, of course, is Dancing Mad. Yes, which... the whole tear. It's just, I'm, and I'm still amazed they pulled that off on a cartridge. I I think it surpasses One Winged Angel, maybe? Oh, definitely. I, yeah. I give it my vote, 100%. Just the fact that... It has the different levels, right? Yes. It, that it, and it seamlessly changes yes, as incredible. you move up. And it doesn't miss a beat. No. It just it's works. Incredible. Yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah. So, I mean, Uematsu really left it all on the table, mm-hmm. right? And then you look at, you know, the sub- subsequent work. Final Fantasy VII, he said, is kind of was kind of a disappointment for him. Because while he had good themes, like, he felt like he wasn't making full use of the sound chip. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Because I, I do love Final Fantasy VII's music, but it sounds a little bit tinny. Yep. Final Fantasy VIII has a, an underrated soundtrack. I think it's a really excellent I actually track. do like Final Fantasy VIII's soundtrack. I love Man with the Machine Gun. That's one of my favorite battle oh, themes. Yeah. I, I think that might actually be my second favorite Final Fantasy soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And then Nine was really strong as yeah, well. Yeah, Nine was a good soundtrack. I still love the overworld theme for that song. But I, I think ultimately I, I prefer Six over uh, a lot of the other ones. And then by Ten, he was starting to collaborate with other people. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so Final Fantasy Six is, for me, the best RPG soundtrack. Nadia... What to you is the best RPG soundtrack? It was really, really close because I know Final Fantasy VI is a predictable answer, but for a reason, because it's a really damn good Hmm. soundtrack. But you know what? I am going to have to give it to Chrono Trigger. Really? Really. Just because um, I feel like Chrono Trigger experiments a little bit more because it has all these these different time zones that you go back and forth through. Like, I just love how, um, of course, the future sounds depressing as hell. Zeal sounds like so like intimidating and overpowering and you don't belong here. Get the hell out, you 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 mudblood or whatever the hell they called you back then. <laughs> mudblood. Yeah. And um the Keeper's Dome is just like the mo- one of the saddest pieces ever composed. And this mm, is the Keeper's Dome is a really good track. It's a yeah. great track. And just uh this was Matsuda, right? Like uh mm-hmm. Matsuda is an enormous talent, and I feel like um Almost anything he does is incredible. Like, uh, one of my honorable mentions is definitely Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 2, which he worked heavily on. And that's that's just an incredible soundtrack. And he had, like, a... God, for that, for that game, he brought in an Irish choir for some of the town themes. And they just blew my freaking mind. And But Chrono Trigger was, I think, his first really breakout soundtrack. If I'm not mistaken, he asked specifically, I want to do soundtracks. Square Enix, please let me do this. And they said, fine. I think Uematsu might have even been sick or overworked or something, so he helped out a little bit, but he left it mostly to uh, Mitsuda. So that's my reason, because you just have that experimental theme, like the fact that, oh, the Ocean Palace has that 80s synthesizer, and I'm like, yes, I am here for synthesizers from the 80s. And that is my choice. <laughs> I think that uh, Xenogears was an excellent work by yeah, him. Yeah, that had a. I, I love that soundtrack as well. Yeah, but it, because I think he had kind of a mental breakdown or something, they end up repeating a lot of, admittedly amazing tracks. But yeah, yeah. and then if you looked at Chrono Tr- Chrono Cross, that's a great soundtrack too. Yeah, that's amazing. Chrono Cross has an amazing soundtrack. I think the reason that I kind of like Final Fantasy VI a little, just a hair better than Chrono Trigger, and this is a basic reason, I like the battle theme better. That's a very Hasidic battle theme, which I, I still love. That's amazing. <laughs> I told you that story, right? My my father, who, who grew up kind of Orthodox Jewish, he's like, why are they playing, uh, like, uh, 
Hasidic music in this game. I'm like, I, I don't know. And then I found out later, apparently at, the, at that time, uh, for some reason, Japan was really into Hasidic music. <laughs> so no I, kidding. Yeah. So I'd love to talk to Uyamatsu sometime and say, hey, uh, what was with that? Oh, yeah. No, that would be kind of interesting. Maybe he just heard it. And he just kind of incorporated into his music. He's like, I like that. I There's like that actually a, a famous anime. I can't remember which one it was, but it used uh, an actual like Hasidic song. Really? Yeah. I don't think they asked for permission. <laughs> they yeah. just used it. And that was its theme song. And I think that influenced, at the time, a lot of Japanese artists, which I think is fantastic. I think that a great soundtrack in an RPG can do a few of the following things. It can make you get really pumped up for a battle song mm-hmm. or a battle theme. Uh, it can punctuate big moments, uh, big emotional moments. Uh, it can be great just exploration music. If you have a bad soundtrack in RPG, it really starts to grind on you a lot. I think yeah. that's one thing reason that I kind of bounced on DQ11 a little bit. So it was one of the worst soundtracks I've ever heard. It, it wasn't very good at all, and um, I've heard that the Switch is going to have been orchestrated, hmm. so maybe that'll help you out a bit. But I totally know what you mean. Uh, I can't remember what I was playing recently, and I just the music was driving me up the wall, and I said, I can't do this anymore. Uh, give me my iPod, please. I really like the Super Robot Wars soundtracks for the most part, especially well, the original fun. The original Generations ones, because they got this group called Jam Project, <laughs> which does most of them, and they're just so crazily upbeat. Yeah, <laughs> Everybody fight, yay! Yeah, no, you're just having a good time listening to them, you know, yeah, bopping yeah. along. So, and, and there's some really great variants on those songs as well, so... And especially when I can import them, which I can't do in the Switch version oh, of yeah. T, which is maybe the one thing that I'm like kind of annoyed by. But the soundtrack is just good enough that I can accept it. Yeah, but. yeah. And uh, I'll have to give another uh, quick honorable mention to Ragnarok Online, which is one mm. of the reasons it has persevered for so many years is because it has such an iconic soundtrack. Yeah. And uh, I still listen to it just for the hell of it. Okay, so we've done the best RPG story and the best RPG soundtrack. Nadia, what is the best RPG hero of all time? Best RPG hero that I chose, and this was a difficult decision because, as we all know, a lot of J- uh, a lot of uh, RPG heroes, especially JRPG heroes, are ciphers. Uh, so I actually went with Lucas from Mother Three mm. because um, I've written extensively about Mother Three on the site. You can read it. Uh, one thing I cover is how Lucas uh, effectively loses his mother. He loses his brother, and he loses his father, who kind of, you know, spirals into depression and kind of forgets, hey, you have a living son over here. And then he's kind of expected to to team up with this motley crew and save the world from evil capitalism. <laughs> and Lucas is a, he is a scaredy cat. He's a crybaby, uh, whereas, you know, Ness is very strong. He's, a, you know, a good, determined boy. And I have a soft spot for heroes who are terrified all the time but do the shit they have to do. Uh, that is why I am a big fan of Luigi, because he's always about to crap his pants, but he's out there doing what has to be done. Even if he has to be coached a little bit, he's there for you. And so is Lucas. And Lucas is a, and when he has to, he's a good fighter. What do you think a great RPG protagonist can bring to the story? Um, I feel like a good RPG protagonist, uh, I think it's really a matter of opinion, because uh, another character I'm thinking of, who I don't know if he counts as a hero... Uh, I just like Laguna from Final Fantasy VIII because he's so so upbeat and hopeful. Even when 
he's falling off a cliff and breaking every bone in his body. He's like, oh, shucks, well, I'll just have to try harder. And I just kind of like heroes who, I guess, in the same vein as Lucas, who they might have a, a spot of bad luck, but they, they just keep on keeping on. And sometimes they're very cheerful about it, like, like Laguna is. I think, too, you mentioned that so many RPG protagonists are kind of ciphers. Yeah. They are intentionally figures that you're supposed to self-insert into and be like, I am the hero, right? Yeah. I mean, the the, the Ur example is perhaps a game like Persona. Yes. Where you have silent protagonists who everybody loves. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be honest. Like, I love the protagonist for five because he doesn't say very much, but he has that kind of crazy look in his eyes. <laughs> and I really love that look. It's like, he's going to fuck shit up. And he does. I'd be a little afraid to be hanging around that guy. Oh, totally. But that's the, that's the point. He obviously has a huge amount of charisma. Yeah. Because <laughs> everybody wants to hang out with him all the time. Well, that's, I'm thinking more four is like that, where uh, you have this, uh, this protagonist who walks in. He's like, hi, I'm new here. And everyone's like, hi, new kid. Let's all go hang out at the mall where they're driving everyone out of business. But uh, I find five, it was a, this is another thing I wrote about on the site. It's a little bit slower to make friends, a little bit sadder because you start as a, a felon, like you're a felon. You're just, you don't have friends. You can't even leave the, your, your freaking coffee shop uh, until you gain uh, a little bit of trust. Mm. So I found that was a little bit more, uh, you know, troubled. And the, the heroes that you pair up with in five are also a little more damaged than they are in four. JRPG protagonists tend to get a bad rap because yeah. either they're, Strong, silent, tropey types. <laughs> yes. Or they're very emotional and kind of like Tita's types. Yeah. <laughs> I hate my dad. Yeah. It's kind of hard to square that. Uh, do you think that the bad reputation that they've been given is justified? I don't think so. Um, but I do understand that you have to kind of come into it with a, the, you know, you and I, we love JRPGs and we understand what we're getting into. But I can also understand if like some outsider said, oh, I'm going to try a JRPG for the first time, and they, they hang out with, with Titus, and it's like, oh, God, what's wrong with this kid? And, you know, maybe it's justified, but I don't care. There, there's my answer. <laughs> All right, here is my pick for the best RPG hero. So it was kind of a hard choice, because I look back, and you're right, so many of them are characters who are intentionally ciphers, who are right. buoyed up by the characters who are kind of around them, right? And I... You know, I like even a character. I was going to say Geralt of Rivia, right? Because you know, Geralt is an interesting character. He's grown over time. He has a lot of pathos around him. He's kind of you know Batman, medieval Batman. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, literally, the angle that I ended up taking with my write up on the site about Witcher Three was how Geralt is completely outshone by Triss, Siri, and uh, Yennefer, right? Because I mean, they're just really interesting characters, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, if Ciri is the real star of The Witcher 3, <laughs> how can I possibly say yeah. that he is, you know, that Geralt is the best? And then I look at Mass Effect, and the character of Shepard is a really cool and interesting character, but yeah. also an idealized character, right? Yeah. So I'm going to hold my breath, and here, here is my pick. And everyone's going to roll their eyes so hard, all right? Okay. And my pick is Leneth Valkyrie from Valkyrie Profile. You're allowed to have that opinion. Okay. So Leneth Valkyrie, uh, the first time you see her, she is a young girl who is being abused by her mother and right. sold into slavery. It's a real dark beginning. Yeah, that starts off quite a, a punch right there. She escapes 
and she's running and she gets into a field of flowers and she dies because it's like poisonous flowers cool. or something. And the reason this happens is because Odin is actually summoning her to fight. Right. And the game broadly hints that this is Lenneth right here. Mm. But it doesn't explicitly make that connection. Right. It could just... She doesn't seem anything like Lenneth. She is really, like, really timid. And she's like, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, I'm so, well, I'm scared, you know? Yeah. And then she gets into Valhalla and she's a total badass, right? That's pretty cool, though. It's like, could be... I, I kind of like that dynamic where you have a... Uh, one side that's like, you know, the real side and you have, uh, you know, what's inside of them or what might be inside of them. And there's that wonderful opening where the bells are ringing and it kind of pans down and she just walks up and she looks around, obviously kind of confused and goes, well, in English, they say, how nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> and the the Japanese word would be, natsukashi, ne, which would be something to the equivalent of, I am getting memories like right. so it's all starting to come back to me okay yeah I'm, I'm looking around this and it's stirring something deep within me right that's which a little is, different which is a little hard to convey yes. in a single sentence yes and then you know she uh is initially a robot for odin mm -hmm. just carrying out his orders and you can just continue down that path the entire dang game and then when you're done odin be like good job leneth you're awesome Go back to sleep now. You're all done. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's if you continue down her path and just do that, just do what you're told, you get an entirely different ending, mm. entirely different dungeons and stuff, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. But if you stray from the beaten path and slowly uncover her memories and get the connection to the man he lo she loves, oh, of, of course. course, she eventually starts to break away from being a robot. And it's cool and satisfying to see her become her own totally badass person, right? Yeah. To, to, to gain agency. Uh, she is a strong woman in the best kind of way. And even though, you know, they have a romantic interest in everything. Yeah, of course, they gotta have that. She's still a badass. Yeah. I like her. She's cool. But there you go. You know, she sounds pretty cool. And I really wish that they would release this game again. Yeah, I... I I don't know. It's like a monkey's paw at this point. If you remake it, you'll probably screw it up. <laughs> well, even if you just release it digitally, like in its original form, maybe, you know, upgrade it a little bit. They did what they did with Final Fantasy IX. I'd be cool with that. Put it on Switch, there you bastards. Go. Put it on Switch, please. But of course, knowing Square, they would just put the iPhone version. Yes. They would just put a souped up version of the PSP version. Yeah. Ah, uh, that would, and that would actually kill me. Or. <laughs> <laughs> or they would completely remake it, but they would do it in that horrible 3D kind of like 2.5D variant that you love? of Secret of Mana. Yeah. And that would actually murder me. <laughs> I think I would drop dead. R.I.P. Cat. Yeah, no, that would be the ultimate monkey paw moment. We're remaking Valkyrie Profile. Yay! Yay! It's like the Secret of Mana remake. No! I kind of like that. But... Or they would do it like the uh, the mobile version of Final Fantasy. Oh, no. Gone. No, it can't be. It would be terrible. That's just poison. Yeah, so that is the best RPG protagonist. So uh, the, the on that note, I got to know, what is the best RPG secondary character okay so to me a secondary character is anybody who is like really interesting kind of boys up the plot um is kind of working with the main character like is really a memorable character how about you nadia what'd you pick i actually picked uh ray from breath of fire 3 okay 
And uh, because I think he- I like, by the way, that we're kind of really splitting out from uh, yeah. <laughs> from our. Okay, no, actually, we're not. No, we're not. Not so much. But yeah. we kind of predicted this. But it's it's fun to talk about. Well, I mean, these are the RPGs that we know. For, yeah, exactly. We know kind of intimately. So this is like the places that we're going to. I would be, by the way, I'd be curious to know you, dear listener. What do mm. you think? Like, fill out fill out your column and and tell me that's your homework yeah that's your homework and maybe we'll read it on the show yeah okay so ray from breath of fire yes uh ray from breath of fire 3 ray is a tiger person uh more formerly known as a warren uh they're like these big bipedal cat people and um he finds the main character ryu when he's like an orphan like about to be eaten by wolves and uh he basically just adopts him even though he knows well there's one more mouth to feed and there's a famine going on uh so he piggybacks him home and not only does he do that but when he piggybacks him home he kind of wraps his tail around him to help carry this little baby and i thought that was really cute he puts him to bed you wake up later and you find out you're wearing one of ray's shirts and of course it's way too big for you and um ray is just a very interesting fatherly figure because yes he is he takes care of ryu and he takes care of tipo who's another orphan uh, but he's a thief and a, a con and just uh, not a good person overall. And he's not teaching good values to, to these kids he's watching. And he can actually turn into this really badass were-tiger that's completely berserk. And that's something that happens uh, to him. And he goes on a rampage after he thinks that Ryu and Tipo have been killed. He, he kind of turns feral. He's just a very sort of... Uh, even though he is very sweet-natured, he is very dangerous at the same time. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic in a character. And he just looks really cool. I think a good secondary character can offer a few things to an RPG. Okay. So, first of all, they're the kind of character that you want to have in your party. Yes, and I always want to have Ray in my party because he can turn into a were-tiger. Maybe they're just a tad OP. A little. Maybe they have really cool abilities. Maybe they have a really neat combat style mm-hmm. that you just want to be using. Maybe they just have a fun personality and they bounce off the other characters in a way that really works. Like yeah. in Dragon Quest or in the Tales series, yeah. right? And yeah, that's what a great secondary character can bring. And because, as we were just discussing, so many RPG protagonists are kind of ciphers, these characters are crucial in giving these characters more personality. Yes, definitely. Yeah, because they're kind of bouncing off a, va- a, a vacuum, right? Yes, absolutely. And yeah. uh, a really good secondary character will do that effortlessly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, so here is my character, all right? So, yeah, I had to think about this a little bit. Uh, when I look at a lot of my favorite RPGs, the, the characters, the secondary characters actually aren't that interesting i think persona for example reuses them a lot a <laughs> okay bit. even the names yeah uh, i mean when i look at when i look at a character like chie she is awesome yes. and extremely bright and aw- and happy and happy go lucky and actually like she might be my favorite second personal favorite secondary character well, she's especially great. she goes through such a personal journey and everything um and it's really sad like She's really buoyant, and she, but she doesn't have a lot of self-worth. Right. And overcoming that, I think, is meaningful to me. And, like, I, I think I've said that I really love her relationship with Yukiko. I think yeah, it's, it's, very, it's, very, uh, it's, it's quite extremely deep. well or- orchestrated. Um, I found myself kind of going to Mass Effect with this one. Uh-huh. Because I think 
the reason that people love Mass Effect so much is that the cast is really well realized, and especially over the course of multiple games. Right. So you have a character like Liara Tassoni, who is one of the principal uh, romantic interests that you can have at the beginning of the series. And initially, she's kind of naive (laughs) and kind of annoying, but she really comes into her own in Mass Effect 2, which is funny because she's mostly off screen in Mass Effect 2, (laughs) but that's okay because she has agency. Right. In the same way that a character like Triss in The Witcher 3 does, where, you know, you don't always see her, she's off doing her own thing, but periodically she comes back into the story, and when she does, she has a reason to be there. She's not just there at the whim of the kind of the the male character or whatever. Right. Uh, I I mean, everybody, a lot of people call the DLC, uh, the Lair of the Shadow Broker, one of the best, because... You get to team up with Liara again, and if you've been in a romantic relationship with her, it's an extremely satisfying moment. Uh-huh. And she's gone from kind of naive in the original game to a total badass in Mass Effect 2. But I think uh, the character that really jumps out at me, though, is maybe Morden, who embodies one of the absolute best threads of the original Mass Effect, uh-huh. which was, or Mass Effect 1 through 3 which was the Krogan Jenner phase. Yeah, Krogans are awesome. Uh, first of all, the Krogans are awesome. Yes, I love Krogans. <laughs> Rex is great. Yeah. He is that prototypical Bioware, like extremely grumpy dude. Yeah. Who's always going to say something really caustic, which <laughs> was definitely, uh, I want to say, novel back in 2008, because we were still adjusting to the idea of video game characters being well-written. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on console. Yeah, they had been they had been well written on PC for a long time at that point, but on console it was definitely a new and novel yeah. thing. Morden was interesting because he's a lot like Abed from Community, <laughs> in that he talks at a really rapid speed, uh, seems very clinical in uh-huh. the way that he's describing everything, uh, but at the same time he has ton of pathos about him because he helped create the genophage and he knows that he's culpable and his personal journey is really kind of heart and soul like the very best rpg or the very best sci-fi elements of mass effect and a reason that i think it's stuck around in the minds of people despite the somewhat disappointing ending it's the individual threads. And you look at, especially at the old cast, uh, Garrus yeah. and Liara and the gal with the mask, Tally. Tally? I think that's her name. And, uh, you know, Rex. And then, of course, Mass Effect 2 added in Morden. Yeah. And uh, Legion. Uh, Legion was a great character as well. Like, all, I, it was an amazing supporting cast. I, 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 I nominate them all. <laughs> <laughs> They're all nominated. They're all Except for the humans. The humans kind of sucked. That tends to happen. Yeah, like Ashley and Caden, meh, screw them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I love that in the original Mass Effect. It's, oh, ooh, we got to rescue Caden. Which one do you pick, Caden or Ashley? And I'm like, can I just leave them both? <laughs> can we put them out of the airlock? Yeah, no, exactly. I don't care. Like, you can both die. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I won't I won't lose sleep over this. Yeah, so that's, that, that's my pick, um, is Mass Effect's entire supporting cast. That's but fair. Maybe especially Morden and Liara. Okay. I think, I think they're both really good. Okay. Moving on to the next category. We're, we're moving right along here. Um, best RPG villain. And, I mean, 
I don't know. We both kind of picked Luca Blight already, right? We we kind of like are in agreement that Luca Blight is definitely one of the best, if not the best. Uh, although mm. I will say, uh, okay, outside of Kefka, outside of Luca, I am nominating God. God is always screwing things up in JRPGs. What a jerk! I know he or she. Sometimes it's a she, as in Breath of Fire three. That was the case. Uh, can't deal with people having free thought. Or going off on their own and, and not worshipping him or her anymore. And, uh, God, what was it? Like, Final Fantasy uh, Legend that had uh, God at the, as, the, the, as the main villain. And there was a comedian who said that basically she learned that God is a little Amish man in a hat because that's what he <laughs> looked like on screen. Yeah, so when I was young... Uh, and Nintendo was very uh, strict about censorship in games. One of them was no religion at all. And the first game I played that really blew that out of the water was Breath of Fire 2, where you literally uh, have to kill God, and this you know he is taking over the the kind of smaller local religions, and you get to him, and he is just he's literally a demon. He's pure evil. He his whole basis, his whole motive is to, you know, unite people and kill them. Uh, there's probably more to it, but the, the translation was so terrible, I can't even begin to explain it. Either way, it was a shock to kind of kill a man who looked like Jesus in a video game. I had never done that before, and I thought, like, oh my god, this is such a novel idea. Turns out it wasn't, but at least for the first time, it was pretty exciting. Yeah, so many of these RPGs, uh, the villain is this metaphysical being, right? Yes. I mean, if you look at a game like Earthbound, the villain is space cockroach, kind of. Or it's, a, it's like a Lovecraftian kind of thing, right? Yeah, oh, what happened there with, uh, um, you had... Uh, I mean, he's working in cahoots with a human who is malevolent in his own yeah. way. But Gygus, who, was the, uh, who actually looks a lot like Mewtwo, and that's probably not a coincidence, Gygus in the original Mother was a, an orphaned alien who uh, was taken care of by a human. And I'm not sure what happened. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he... Uh, when the human, his human caretaker died, he kind of went insane and yes, turned quite Lovecraftian and terrifying, but he's not bad. He's just screwed up. So many of, uh, a lot of the other RPGs, like, uh, so in Planescape, the transcendent one is, I, I guess, the nominal villain. Uh, you end up having kind of a philosophical conversation. You can fight him if you want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Throw a stick at so God. Things happen in that one. Um, or you have a case of like Fallout New Vegas, where you have uh, Mr. House. I mean, he's a villain, but you can also work with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it can kind of go either way. Um, in Dragon Age, it's a dragon. You know who I actually want to nominate quickly is uh, the owner. Uh, there's a in Skyrim. Uh, there's a quest where you can join the the League of Assassins, like the the Night Hand. I forget what they're called off the top of my head, but the assassins. And re- the, the, how you do that is basically you find out that there is an orphanage in White Run, I think, or somewhere further north, where the caretaker, the matron, is basically abusing the children. And they actually try to summon an assassin, uh, and they get you. And uh, so you can actually kill this woman and fulfill the contract. And it was just a kind of a very dark, terrible moment because it's like, okay, I just killed this innocent woman. I'm an assassin, uh, but she was a terrible person. Did I do the right thing? Well, everyone seems happier, so uh, I'll go on a merry way then. So what kind of villain do you like? Do you like a complete monster, or do you like a villain where you can kind of understand their motivations and they're even likable in their own way. 
I kind of like villains that have their motivations, even if those motivations are, you know, uh, not that deep. Uh, again, Luca Blade is a good example. He just wants to, you know, engulf everything in endless war, and he is good at it. So mm-hmm. I admire a villain who is just terrifyingly resilient, which really does uh, describe Luca. Um, Kefka, he's totally insane, but, you know, that kind of makes him shocking. And uh, we know now that he went insane because of, like, experiments that went wrong. But, I don't know, I just feel like Luca is, is, as I've said before, is the most terrifying villain because he is a monster and he is driven. So I kind of like a combination of the two, I guess, is what I'm saying. So I had to think about this a little bit again. And I think there's some really potentially interesting characters that you can go with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for example, one of them would be maybe Darth Revan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, Darth Revan, I mean, he's you, <laughs> but yeah. the villain is you, and you can become the villain. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, I guess I'll, I'll give a shout out also to Flowey from Undertale, who, um, uh, in the style of Undertale, he seems like a very two-dimensional villain, but you, when you find out his story by replaying the game through all three pathways, you actually learn is that he actually has a very, very sad and tragic kind of background. And uh, it's uh, it, it stuck with me. And Flowey again, like he, when you play Undertale on the PC, he screws with your game, like he screws with your save files. He shuts off your game. He glitches it out, and that kind of shit scares the hell out of me. So he was a pretty effective villain. Uh, somebody like Bob Page from Deus Ex is a great villain because you know he's your pr- prototypical cyberpunk. Yeah, uh, he's just so over the top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, I like a good over the top villain. Those are always a lot of fun if they're done right. Yeah, which isn't always like yeah. which isn't which isn't extremely often. But okay, so uh, we love Luca Blight because he's a freaking psychopath. Yeah, but here's a different kind of psychopath, and that's Adachi. I was thinking of nominating Adachi because he, um, as I wrote on uh, our site. He is another terrifying villain because he projects something completely different from what he is, and he is so good at projecting that 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 disguise. And when it's revealed, he he just changes on a on the fly, and it, it is pretty terrifying. Yeah, when you find out that Adachi, I mean, because throughout the game, so sociopaths yeah. are the kind of people where you're like they can put on a particular face, yes, where but they're not really feeling anything, and when you find out who Adachi actually is, it's ugh, it's pretty gross, right? Yeah. Like, his, like, extremely deep hatred of women and yeah. everything. Yeah, As a... The way that they painted his sociopathic tendencies was really well done. It really was, and the way his profile picture changes mm-hmm. uh, that first time, that's that's a real shocker. Like, it's a really creepy look. And they really deepen it a lot in Persona 4 Golden with the way that you can get to know him, and yeah. how you can even become an accomplice with him. Yeah, I learned about that. I didn't take that path, but uh, I looked it up on YouTube, and it's, it's pretty dark. Yeah, it is extremely dark, so... Yeah, I think Adachi is a really interesting villain. As for RPG villains in general, interestingly enough, I don't think of villains as much as I used to. Yeah. And they used to matter to me a lot, like in Final Fantasy and that kind of thing. Cause, but now I'm kind of turning more inward, right? Yeah. I mean, in Mass Effect, the villains were the, the Reapers. Yeah. Right? And they were kind of an all-powerful force. And then they were also 
kind of villains who are closer to home, like the elusive man or yeah. uh, the the character that you have to fight in Mass Effect, who's actually a great villain actually, um, and kind of a tragic one as well. But um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I But I care more about the heroes than the villains, I suppose. Yeah. Where, did you ever have your Sephiroth phase where you're crazy for Sephiroth? Oh, yeah. Everyone oh, I was crazy Sephiroth for Sephiroth. Phase, yeah. with the long white hair. Long and white the, hair and the sword. The, that the, goes the giant katana. Yeah. Are you kidding forever. me? Oh, I thought he was the coolest. And that, that scene where he burns down uh, Nibelheim and he turns around in the fire, that was pretty iconic. I mean, yeah, duh. Yeah. <laughs> and then Final Fantasy IX, like, deliberately tries to get it back, and it's like, uh, Kuja is, um, he's a little silly for me. Yeah, he is a little bit silly, isn't he? So, yeah. never quite worked for me. Okay, we have three more categories left. Um, how about best RPG quest? Best RPG quest. Uh, this is something I have talked about in the past, so please forgive me if I'm repeating myself. I am nominating the Eevee quest from Sun and Moon Pokemon. Oh, oh, good, interesting choice. Okay, go. Did you ever complete this quest, Kat? No, I didn't, even though you told me to. Yes, because it is a... I am actually still stunned at how effectively Game Freak explored the topic of aging through these goddamn Eevees. What this is about is you come across this, you know, adult guy who's working at this uh, discount store in uh, Alola, and he tells you how he was a great Eevee trainer, and he used to run with this crowd of, you know, Eevee trainers who all had personalities according to the Eevee they favored. Like, you had this one girl who was very fey, and she had the Sylveon. She never seemed to age. You had this beautiful woman who had the Leafeon because, you know, she's beautiful like nature. You had this really quick-witted, you know, woman who had Jolteon because she was very sharp and very fast. So he's like, hey, you know, I can't leave my post because I have a family looked after, but can you check in on these friends I have? Let me know how they are doing. So you say, okay, fine. And you go around uh, Alola talking to these these characters and finding out that they have all aged uh, well beyond what they were back in their heyday, and they've almost kind of aged ironically. Like, the one that really stuck with me was the Jolteon trainer, who was very sharp. She's in a home suffering from dementia. And you have the Leafeon trainer, who uh, is trying very hard to preserve her beauty through plastic surgery, and she's, like, realizing I'm falling apart. Uh, You have the Umbreon trainer, who everyone said, oh, this man can defy death, he can, you know, survive anything. And he said, well, it only seems like that because I'm in and out of the hospital a lot. That's how I'm cheating death. And the, the, the youngest one, the Sylveon trainer, she's dead. She's just gone. So it's, it was a very, like, very dramatic sort of quest. And I really appreciate that Game Freak put it in because uh, it tells me that they understand, uh, yes, a lot of their audience is young, but some of us have grown up with them and we're all aging. And I feel like they really went that extra step where they could have had you just talk to these EV trainers who are still in the prime of their life, like, hey, this is cool, this is fun, let's all fight, yay, we're done. So I, I think that was a, a really well-done quest by Game Freak. There are a lot of amazing quests uh, in RPG history, especially yes. in Fallout. Yeah. Uh, tons. Of, if you go through any top 10 quest uh, chain in Fallout, uh, Fallout 3, Fallout 4, there's the one with the tree in Fallout 3, <laughs> which is pretty messed up. Uh, I think pretty much everything with Far Harbor and Fallout 4 is amazing. There's stuff like Beyond the Beef in Fallout New Vegas. Those are all spectacularly well-written and well-designed quests that give you a lot of choices. Yeah. 
which I think is the crux of a really good uh, quest. The ones that everybody always remembers is the quests that tell a little story. Yes, yes. And at the conclusion of it, you feel like you've gone through kind of little an anthology story. Right. And often it has some an ending that can be happy, it can be sad. The best ones have choices that make you go, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They're they're the ones they they have really good combat encounters, uh, but they also mix in really good choices. They're structurally interesting. They go beyond the usual. Uh, pick up uh, and find an item and bring it back. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I actually also want to give a shout out to the uh, in Skyrim becoming a werewolf. Hmm. I always thought that was a fun little quest because I really like the companions and and the dynamic they have. And uh, I really like Farkas. He's he's cool. It's that's a great one. I, I'm actually a huge fan of like Far Harbor, as I was already saying. Yeah. Which I don't know if that counts as one quest. It's kind of a quest chain. Yeah. Because in Far Harbor, you're. Uh, I mean, I think I've described it in this before. You have three different factions. You have the the nuclear zealots. Yeah. You have uh, you have the robots, and then you have the townsfolk, and they all kind of hate one another. Yeah, of course. And you have a lot of different options uh, on how to actually resolve this whole thing. And I ended up kind of picking an obtuse one that involved the the religious cult nuking themselves. <laughs> all glory to the nuke. And as I was telling Chris Avalon, I think in that moment, I, that was true evil. Yeah. <laughs> because I justified it to myself. Like, that goes beyond kind of mustache-twirling evil and <laughs> into, you know, every villain thinks that they're doing the right thing. Yeah, right? exactly. So I became the villain in that moment. At least there was a big explosion. Uh, in Witcher 3, of course, uh, Bloody Baron is an extremely popular one. So... I don't know if you're familiar with the Bloody Baron quest. No, I'm not. It's a really intense quest. Mm. And I kind of want you to find out about it for yourself. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. But one of a common trope through Witcher 3 is relationships that disintegrate. <laughs> and that one is especially intense. Uh, I'm not going to say anymore. You got to say, you got to see oh, it. Okay. But a lot of people highlight that one. Yeah. And, and it's kind of companion quest is scenes from a marriage, which I also described, where you basically go from room to room and see how a wedding, a marriage has steadily kind of fallen apart. That's right? very depressing. Yeah. I, I'm a really big fan of Reason of State. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because Reason of State is uh, another quest in Witcher 3, where it goes through a whole multitude of uh, different quests that all lead up to the assassination of a king. Cool. And it it's it feels like the culmination of a lot that's been happening through Witcher 2 into Witcher 3. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of different characters who have appeared in the books. And uh, the ending is extremely satisfying. And it involves a whole bunch of different characters. And it has a huge impact on the end of the story. Right. And then you're like, when you're done with it, you're like, that was awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> okay. Those are the best quests that make you say, oh, I enjoyed that. That was really nice. Yeah. So, and then, of course, there's the suicide mission in Mass Effect 2. Yeah. Which, I don't know if that counts as a quest. Uh, I, that's more of a climax, yeah. I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it's hard for me to pick just one, like, just one quest that I can go, 
oh yeah no that that was amazing yeah. right yeah yeah uh, rpgs are made of quests that's the whole thing it's the whole yeah. point there there are a lot of really amazing ones but i guess right now the one that's still rattling around in my head is uh scenes from a marriage because I don't know, like, that was a really intense quest, like, from a personal level. And right. there were some unique battles in that one, and it did such a great job of summarizing everything. And I think uh, Witcher 3 has spectacular quests. Mm-hmm. It does its side quests so well. That's why it's such a good game. So, all right. And finally... I'm going to ask Nadia, what is, who is, what, who is the best RPG developer? Oh, And I think is, I know who you're going to pick. Yeah, I think you know who I'm going to pick. I'm going with Yuji Hori. Okay. When I say best RPG developer, I mean studio. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Because okay. it's a team, Nadia. Okay. Yes. It, it's all a collective. In which case, um, uh, Okay. Ah, it's through a curveball at you. you did. So you're going to say Enix. I want to say Square Enix because I, that is absolutely the right answer. But Was I, it Square? Is it Enix? Or is it Square Enix? Now you're making Enix? it so much harder. I am. You know what? I'm Because say, I could say, like, I could say late stage Bioware, which would be categorically false. <laughs> but it's like CD Projekt versus Golden Age Bioware. Right. Uh, versus Bethesda versus uh, Larian versus Game Freak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Though I wouldn't really pick Game Freak. No, Game Freak uh Game Freak is very good at what they do, but they do what they do. So uh, Black Isle. You yeah, know. Yeah, Black Isle. Uh I am going I am going to say Quintet. Okay. Which which was Quintet. Which was a subsidiary of Enix back mm-hmm. in the day. Uh I really, really miss their games because they they knew what a good story was and they knew that an RPG could be taken seriously in a time when people were still kind of faffing about with, with RPG stories. Faffing or, about. Faffing. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my Lord. No. Um, basically, I, I think, that even though, like, Soul Blazer, uh, Terranigma, and uh, Illusion of Gaia aren't quite RPGs in, in the traditional sense, uh, I feel like they're, they qualify for me. I just really love how all three of them hook up in, in a weird way to talk about the human condition, the the death and revival of humanity, uh, they go hard right away and just start talking about slavery. There's one scene in Illusion of Guy that I never forgot, and that is when you start the game early on, you visit the king in his castle, and he's an asshole. And there's a maid who tells you, wow, the, you know, these carpets that you're walking on, they took 40 years to, just to weave one of them. And you're like, oh, cool, I'll, I'll store that fact away for later. Much later in the game, you get to a very poor town that has slaves in it. And you see these, just these girls, actual girls, silently weaving these carpets that are used in the castle. And there's a, a, an overseer who tells you, you know, yes, they, they will be working on this carpet for the next 40 years. And just remember, little man, some people are born to misfortune. And I was like, wow, that made me, that just hit me really hard. Yeah, I can't think of... It's hard for me to choose yeah. just one because I think they have all had their really bright, shining moments. Exactly, yeah. Like, I look at a studio like Black Isle, which gave us Fallout and Planescape Torment, uh, which are both on the list, obviously, yeah. and did so much, so many amazing things with uh, the isometric RPG 
and in the fact that Brian Fargo was so heavily involved, have roots directly in kind of the original, like, first wave of great RPGs right. in the 80s on the PC, right? Yeah. Um, I think about somebody like Richard Garriott. I, I was going to say Richard Garriott. I mean, he, he was kind of his own person, so I guess you could say origin. Yeah, well, he's right? an astronaut. <laughs> Where <laughs> Literally. They they had a pretty dang good run until the early 90s with the Ultima games. I, I think about Square, you know, with um, how they had their absolutely incredible golden age and they did all the way from the early part of the 16-bit era all the way through uh into the playstation you know yeah so many complete and utter classics right uh maybe yuji hori kind of created the console rpg as we know it yeah but i think square revolutionized absolutely they refined it yeah so, and they had such an incredible greatest hits record. Yeah. And then if you want to look at kind of like recency, you have Atlas and you have CD Projekt. Yeah. But you could ask yourself, will CD, Pro- CD Projekt un- crushed it with Witcher 3? Yeah. Just crushed it. They were amazing. But are they a one-hit wonder? Yeah. And uh, there's also Monolith Soft, which mm. uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, and they do actually work on these uh, the new Zelda games. Like, I... There's a news item that just went up today saying that Monolith, uh, Monolith Soft is recruiting for a new Zelda game. Yep. So when I think, but so when I think about it, I think it's really between two. One is Bioware. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because Bioware just did it so well for so long. Yeah. They they did Baldur's Gate two and really just crushed the Infinity Engine. Right. Yeah. They created the Infinity Engine. They crushed D&D as we know it in games. They did KOTOR. They did Mass Effect. Yeah. Right? They they did it in so many different ways. And until they kind of lost their way as an RPG developer, they were, well, they, they were known for being really ahead of the curve and how good their storytelling was. Yeah. How good their mechanics were, how good they were at creating quests, Bioware was the premier RPG house yeah. for a very long time, and deservedly so. And their games hold up well. That's why multiple of their games are on this list. Uh, the other one is Square. Yeah, yeah. Square is an easy pick. Yeah. Uh, would you say Square Enix or Square? Square. The original, like, uh, the, the, the heyday. Square from 1991 to 1999 or 2000 yeah okay yeah that's a that's no, a wait. run when does final fantasy 10 come out 2001 i think so 2001 or two okay so i'm gonna say square from 1991 to 2001 that, that's a 10 year run that's a good run uh bioware actually probably went a little bit longer because i think their their golden age began in around 1998 when Baldur's gate came out mm-hmm. and continued all the way through mass effect 2 right um, and then started to tail off dramatically after that. So, uh, it, yeah, you can, like, kind of weigh them. Uh, I mean, Square produced Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross and Final Fantasy VII and uh, so many, like, amazing games. Secret of Mana, they had so many hits. Yeah. They created the job system. <laughs> they did. And back then, they were they just kind of... Did them one by one, bam, bam, bam. Like here's here's five, here's Secret of Mana, here's Final Fantasy Six, here's 
you know, they just kept on going. And Chrono Trigger, like, and now it's like, okay, well, Final Fantasy uh, 15 is coming in uh, <laughs> five years. And then they have Uematsu, you know. Yeah, of course. Who is one of the great composers. And, yeah, they did so many, so many, so much for the RPG genre. Yeah. I got to give it to Square. Yeah, I do. I think that uh, a lot of what we know as a JRPG is because of them. Yeah. Uh, as you say, like, uh, epic soundtracks, like, that is because of Square. We associate that with an RPG nowadays. Job system. Job system, absolutely. I Just the astoundingly high-quality run of RPGs yeah. that they put out. Uh, their, their, their golden age on the, six, on the Super Nintendo, I think, is kind of unrivaled. So I, I think so. Um, maybe maybe comparable. Maybe Black Isles, uh, one-two punch of Fallout and Planescape Torment. Yeah, uh, is comparable. Um, maybe Bioware's uh, one-two punch of Baldur's Gate two and Kotor. I don't yeah. know. They're all great in their own way. They really are. Everyone's a winner. Hooray. Yay. Yay. And somebody's like, no, you got to pick one. I am not picking one. I, I picked my pick, and uh, I think I'm going to stand by it, but I will fully acknowledge that Square and, and everyone else that you are aware is just responsible in their own ways for, for like, making... If you think of RPGs as a quilt, they all added a patch. All right, Nadia, because I am hungry, <laughs> it is time to conclude the top 25 RPG countdown. Yes. Something that we've been doing for almost a year. I think we started last summer. Yeah, we started a while ago. And then rolling through, we had a lot of great moments. We we did that panel at PAX West last year with Mass Effect. That was a lot of fun. That was a great panel. Yeah, we had a lot of great guests coming on to talk about these different RPGs, like Kevin Van Ord, who talked about Divinity Original Sin. I really wanted to get Chris Avalone on for Planescape Torment, but the schedule didn't end up working out. Yeah, I'm really disappointed in that for you. I might have to just bring him on anyway to be like, all right, let's just do a deep dive into it. Because it was a number two RPG on this list, right? No, I agree. Put that on your to-do list. I spent a lot of time agonizing over that list. and You did. I think... Ultimately, I'm pretty happy with it. I think so, yeah. I was a little shaky on a Vampire the Masquerade, but when I when it, but when Bloodlines 2 got announced and I saw my kind of emotional reaction to it, which by the way, if you want to talk about great quests, mm. man, the mas- Vampire the Bloodlines the Masquerade like uh, should de- definitely deserves a mention cuz there's some amazing ones. Like there's this one uh, with this character that has basically a split personality uh-huh. uh, because of, like, abuse and everything. It's really messed up. Yeah, so it's it's cool. I, I like it. We're, the big twist, uh, a quest that has a big twist is okay I, in my yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> I always like those. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah. Um, it's the way we picked this Top 25 RPG uh, countdown was basically I made a list <laughs> And spent a whole lot of time, like, fiddling with it. Yeah. And then I showed it to you, and we talked about it for a while. Yeah. And then I swapped some games out. Then I swapped some games in, and I messed around with the order. Yeah. And then I eventually got to a point where I'm like, okay, like, I'm feeling good. (laughs) I feel a little dumb for putting Divinity Original Sin in instead of two. It should have been two. Come on. But... (laughs) Uh, but I was being really obtuse because I was like, no, no, we can't, we can't pick a game that came out within the last year. Duh. <laughs> but I mean, it's Divinity Original Sin. It deserved to be there. Yeah. Divinity Original Sin is an amazing game. 
Either way, Divinity Original Sin and Original Sin 2, they're both great RPGs. Original so Sin 2 is better. You get a shout out. Yeah. So the, I think the important thing is we included it. Yes. Yes. We, yes. We acknowledged it. I feel really damn good about including Final Fantasy V. I think so. I think that was a... a I know some people might have been like, why? But yeah. I think the justification is there. Uh, job system is a very, very, very big deal. Like, I look at pretty much all of these RPGs, and I'm like, yeah, like, this is an amazing RPG. Like, yeah. I, I brought up a lot of them in this in this conversation that we just had. Yeah. So I, I, maybe in the next episode, we can kind of go through some of the RPGs that are really tremendous, but didn't make the list. That's a good and, idea. Uh, and talk through them a little bit, because there's some that I, I think we definitely need to talk about, like Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah. <laughs> For example, <laughs> yes. uh, picking tactics over Final Fantasy Tactics. Maybe we can do that in the next episode. That sounds but, good. Okay. Nadia, it's time to pick the number one best RPG of all time. Uh, this is it. This is canonical Blood God's best RPG. Stone Cold, lock of the century, of the week, yep. of the millennium. There's no argument. You're not allowed to argue this, this one. because is, is This is the true number one. It is in stone. Nadia... What is the number one RPG of all time? Uh, Sonic Chronicles. Oh, man, the Dark Brotherhood? <laughs> well, we did pick Bioware as one of the best RPG developers of all time. I mean, we were talking about this blood. Uh, we were talking about this incredible run from 1998 or whatever. Yes. To, I mean, how can you omit Sonic Chronicles? Oh, it is a really depressing game. Like, I haven't played it, but I watched a, a playthrough. And uh, it's uh, the legend has it that that's when... Uh, EA kind of took a lot of money away from Bioware, and this project was just so half-baked. And you could tell Bioware was trying its damn best, but it just... it did not work out. Alright, because I want dinner, and because Nadia's (laughs) effing around with me right now, the correct answer was, of course, Chrono Trigger. Yes. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, everybody knew. Like, I, I, I thought it was funny. Somebody said, okay, uh, when I, we were down to our final three, they were like, I'm going to pick predict that Cat picks Witcher 3, Valkyrie Profile, and Chrono Trigger. Which wasn't a terrible idea. Two of the three were right. Yeah. Good that was job. interesting that they thought I would put Valkyrie Profile up that high. <laughs> I love Valkyrie Profile. I do a lot. I don't know that I can recommend it to somebody necessarily because I don't know that it holds up that well. Well, uh, Indivisible is the same idea, and that's coming out soon. Yeah, I, I think there's a, a lot of love for Valkyrie Profile, yeah. but the fact that so half the game is unskippable, non-interactive story scenes, which are admittedly really like sad and like really good. Yeah, but also a little bit of a deal breaker because yeah. it's so slow in that regard. Yeah, I know that our friend of the show, Anthony Agnello, has been trying to pick up Valkyrie profile on my say so forever and he keeps going I can't do it cat I can't do it <laughs> I have my issues with the battle system and everything I love Valkyrie profile but nah 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 Chrono Trigger Chrono Trigger Nadia why is Chrono Trigger the best RPG of all time uh I feel like it's an RPG that has everything uh, it's just the battle system is great uh the characters are a lot of fun you go literally through time and back again you have moments that are funny you have moments that are very sad uh, it has a very, one thing I really like about it is it has a very effective, you know, fun, powerful story that's very easy to follow. And the one thing I'm mad about with Chrono Cross is it kind of took the idea of a good, simple, fun story and threw it out the window or for something completely messed up. Uh, it has great graphics. 
Uh, it really, really pushes the SNES to its limits. I would say the only game that maybe does a little bit more is uh, Seiken Detsetsu 2, which, uh, sorry, Seiken Detsetsu 3, which never came out in, in the West. Um, the, uh, the animated enemies were a big deal back then because uh, Final Fantasy VI, of course, had more detailed enemies, but they were very static. Uh, Chrono Trigger's world looks a lot more uniform than Final Fantasy VI's. It's just a really good send-off for the SNES, uh, and like we've already said, the soundtrack is incredible. Uh, and Kat, I think you actually have probably a better perspective than I do, because I bought the game from day one, therefore I have a lot of nostalgia for it, but you came in like very, very late and said, wow, this game really does hold up. It blew me away. Yeah. Yeah, it was such a tight, beautifully constructed RPG with a great story, great soundtrack, great characters, great moments. It played with the structure of the RPG yes. in a, a in a lot of really interesting ways, uh, in the way that you jumped from time period to time period. I felt like I was constantly being surprised. Yeah, there's always something new around the corner. Yeah, it could be really lighthearted and silly, but it could also be really dark. Yeah. Uh, there are so many different and really interesting endings. Um, God, there's like, there's like 10 at least. Yeah, that, that is a that was a big feat. It invented new game plus. We know the term because of Chrono Trigger. Yeah, I think the battle system is really good. I think that the fact that it did away with random encounters yes. uh, for the most part, and a lot of the encounters were bespoke. Yeah, really helped. Yes, definitely. Uh, there were some random encounters here and there, but for the most part, you knew where they were. But yeah. otherwise, you could enc- you could avoid a lot of encounters, and. I really like how smart, simple but smart the the battle system was because one of my absolute favorite things to do in an RPG is to simply mix and match different yes, characters. Yes, and that's what it's all about in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, so I like finding the right combos, and, and there are some pretty OP combos yeah, in like, that game. Once you have Ayla and you do Falcon Hit for everything, it's, it's kind of I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's for regular enemies, though. But that's not necessarily going to work against bosses, because all of the boss encounters really make you sit back and think about, okay, what is the best possible... Yes, especially since a lot of bosses move around, and your techs have an area of effect, so you have to think about who you have with you and what their attacks are. And it doesn't feel like any character is especially worthless, right? Yeah, exactly. I I liked Robo, and I liked Ayla, and I liked Frog. Yeah, see, I never used Frog. Like, I would Mm. use Ayla, and I would use Robo. Uh, I like the fact that Ayla is named after a a character from a book. Yeah. The Clan of the Cave Bear, which I loved. Yeah, so uh, the the actual battle system works for me, because even though there's not a, a huge amount of customization... It feels like a leveled-up version of Final Fantasy IV, where it's yeah. just a lot more interesting, ultimately. But not too complicated. It's 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 accessible, right? It really is, yeah. Yeah, so I think the battle system is great. I mean, what more is there to say about Chrono Trigger? I, we did a multi-part series about it. We did, yes. Where um, we talked about it the entire way through. I think we did that series back in 2017, maybe. yeah. Uh, it should be on your podcast feed. I encourage you to go back and listen to them. It's a little piecemeal. Yeah. But uh, we kind of wrapped up our thoughts on Chrono Trigger in the where I talked about the end and everything. Yeah. Uh, in the same episode that we wrapped up the Persona 4 Golden Report. And 
Uh, yeah, I mean... I think when you come down to it, you think about, you have the... They created an actual dream team to, to make this game, and it really is a game that is made by a dream team. You got Akira Toriyama, uh, Yuji Hori, and... Um, Oh, am I blanking on the last guy? Because I'm tired. That's why. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, the the, uh, the Akira Toriyama, Yuji Hori, and Sakaguchi was it? Hironobu Sakaguchi. There, sorry, Sakaguchi. All respect to you. Uh, and I lo- how dare? And I love that. Well, oh, your Enix bio, your Enix bias is obvious in this episode, <laughs> Nadia. One hundred percent. I love the ending where you can basically finish the game. Uh, in the first 10 minutes, and you get sassed by all the developers. That was great. <laughs> that was <laughs> that's hilarious. So good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, wow. What an amazing game. And I look back at so many of they They knew that, that console so well. Yes. And I think when it comes, when, it, when you look at this list of RPGs, I think to myself, okay, like, would I actually recommend a lot of these games to people? Like, are are these a canonical twenty five RPGs? Right. Uh, and I think I could say, yeah, yeah. I would maybe with some caveats for like Deus Ex. Yeah, but be like, uh, make sure to install some mods. <laughs> <laughs> but I, with Chrono Trigger, it's a no brainer. It really is. Like, you got to play Chrono Trigger. Yeah, and I am a little bit disappointed that, despite how good the SNES Classic is, that they admitted Chrono Trigger. Yeah, no, that was a that was a big omission. It really was. It? I could I could see omitting a number of games, and I actually I would consider omitting Final Fantasy three over Chrono Trigger. That is a tough choice. That is definitely a so. I mean, choice. that's that is the worst choice, right? It really is. I want both of them, and maybe I would pick Final Fantasy three right now, but only because I finished Chrono Trigger not too long ago. Yeah, and also I modded my Super Nintendo and just put it on there anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so it wasn't a big deal in the end anyway, but. I don't know. I could have taken it over Super Mario RPG for sure. Yeah, I have to be honest. Uh, one thing I did want to give a shout out to with the Mario series is I do think that the Mario and Luigi series does not get enough credit for its battle system because it is a lot of fun to fight in that game. I love the dynamic between Mario and Luigi and the moves they make, but that is the evolution of Super Mario RPG, which I think I, I'll get killed for saying this, but I don't think it aged as well as. Final Fantasy 3 even, or definitely not Chrono Trigger. I would take Chrono Trigger over Mario RPG, easy. I don't like Mario RPGs, so <gasps> there we go. <laughs> sorry. say Sorry, all you Mario RPG fans. Yeah, uh, Chrono Trigger definitely feels like a, a more of an ending for the SNES versus Mario RPG, which came quite a bit later. But maybe I should, you know, play Mario RPG again. Maybe I'll have a different opinion now that I'm an it adult. It is fine. It's a good RPG. I, I replayed it for when I reviewed the SNES Classic, and uh, it's fine. But again, compared to Chrono Trigger, it's just, well, I would rather play Chrono Trigger. It's a longer, more well-structured game, whereas Mario RPG, I understand that it's important because it's accessible, uh, and it got a lot of people into RPGs. But uh, it's not as long. It just seemed to, to emphasize the graphics over the gameplay. I think when I look at RPGs as an entire category, I think you can get into trouble trying to pick the greatest of the RPGs because there's you know, so many different RPGs. RPGs can vary so wildly. They really can, yeah. Maybe more wildly than any genre, Yeah. right? I mean, you have a tactics RPG like Tactics Ogre rubbing elbows with a... Uh, 
with a an, a roguelike like net hack, and then you have an extremely uh, role playing and story driven uh, game like Planescape Torment, right? And then you have Chrono Trigger, which is very fa- straightforward, right? Yes. But I think Chrono Trigger encapsulates so many of the greatest elements of all of the different RPGs, right? Yeah. When you have your story that's really straightforward in a way that is very appealing for JRPG fans, but also has interesting decisions yes. that you can make, that you can play around with, whether or not you save Chrono, for example. Yeah, like that's where, that's where all the multiple endings come in. Like your consequences do matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, your actions do have consequences. Uh, and one thing uh, towards the end of the game is you are given a whole mess of side quests that, that you can take or leave, and they all fill out your character's stories. Like, uh, I don't know if you found, if you did the one with Marl and her father and how that they kind of patched things up. That was a, that was a sweet oh, yeah, story. The, the optional side quests are yes. so good. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Robo and like, you know, humanity's fate in the future. It, it's all very good. Yeah, no, it is astoundingly well done. I mean, and I, I think another thing that really helps it is, are the graphics. Yes. Uh, the graphics, just 2D graphics hold up. They do. Yeah. Like you, so Witcher 3, I mean, it's a beautiful game, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it's an amazing, uh, I can easily recommend that one. Planescape Torment, a little bit of a harder sell because <laughs> it came out when it did. And yeah. there are going to be plenty of people who turn off uh, by the herky-jerkiness of it. Same with Fallout, right? Exactly, yeah. You know, turn on Chrono Trigger, it's just immediately, immediately appealing to the eye. It really is. It's, there's nothing offensive about it. Um, I love how, you know, you can you can see some of the clever ways they... They made the characters move while saving space. Like, I love how when Chrono does a critical hit, he just leaps into the fray and hits with the sword and leaps out. Like, it's just a very energetic game. Yeah. So when I look at a game that needs to be, at, deserves to be at the very top of the top 25 RPG list, um, it needs to be an RPG that I can recommend unreservedly yes. today. Like, there can't be any reservations. I have literally no reservations about recommending Chrono Same. Trigger. It is a amazing class S RPG. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you have not played it and you're an RPG fan, well, number one, that's probably not a situation. You probably have played mm. it. Uh, but by all means, get out there and play it. Yeah, it makes me sad that I don't know if we're ever going to... I don't know if we're ever going to see anything as good as it in some ways. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe different developers will come in. I mean, Larian has been on a real tear, for example, yeah. lately. But the the dream team. Yeah. It was Yuji Hori and Hironobu Sakaguchi and those very particular moments on the, on the SNES. It was, it was a moment. It really was. It was a moment in time and we might never get it again. So enjoy it for what it is. It felt like the culmination of so much of RPGs of, until that time. Yeah. You know, like with uh, 16-bit RPGs in particular, and uh, in some ways, we've, you know, transcended it, uh, especially in terms of the writing. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend that it's the greatest, the best written RPG of all time. It's very shonen, basically. It is very shonen, but at the same time, uh, it's emotionally com- complicated. Yeah. And it's not, it's not like the characters are complete cartoons, no, right? Uh, no, absolutely not. Yeah, they all have interesting arcs on their own. Um, they, they're... I think I've already mentioned how dark the the 
just the the Lavos calamity is. Yeah, it really is. It can hit you in the fields in many different ways. It really can, especially with the the DS update that they did, uh, where they finally explained what happened to Shala. That's pretty devastating. But you know what really cemented that game as my one of my favorites of all time? What's that? <laughs> when you're fighting. Uh, Okay, so what's the name of the wizard who comes into your party? Magnus? Was Magus. That? Magus, okay. And what's the name of his uh, his flunky? The, <laughs> the green guy? Ozzy. The fight against Ozzy. That was great. That's a great... One of the most hilarious battle scenes I've ever seen, yeah. where you never even really fight him. No. But it plays with the combat, with the combat so well, and it's something that could not have worked in just a... a a battle system where it transitions. Yeah. The seamless transitions really matter in it. And the the conclusion that happens to comedic effect is just yeah. perfect. <laughs> and that was very sad that was a very satisfying fight for me because I was hitting him like an idiot and he's laughing at me like, what are you doing? What are you aiming at? You can't penetrate his shield. So then I realized, hey, what are these things? I'm going to target these things, these winches that, that obviously control his floor. So getting solving that for myself was a lot of fun. All right, that's Chrono Trigger number one on our top 25 RPG countdown. Ooh. We are done, Nadia. We are totally it's done. It's over, we baby. We are toast. 200 episodes. That's it. There's no, there are no more frontiers to go to. We, we've talked about every good RPG. Yeah, that's it. We've explored every, every inch of the universe. The blood god is satisfied. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. All right, well... That's our top 25 RPG countdown. We're going to put it all together into one big old list that you can read, maybe pass along to your friends. If you haven't checked it out yet, like we wrote a full-on article for every single one of the games on this list. So there's a lot of reading on this thing. So if you have some time, you know, you're... Just download it onto your iPad or something and listen. I don't know. <laughs> or <laughs> do, read. Do something. Yeah. I Get feel, off your ass, I man. feel like I put a lot of work into this. I feel a little tired right now. Yeah. <laughs> we hope you enjoy it. It was a lot of fun to make. It was a lot of effort, though, especially for you. Yeah. The, re- the original impetus behind it was that when I looked at the RPG genre, it was so rich that it just didn't seem right to pick 25 or 50 RPGs and then give a two-paragraph or three-paragraph yeah. blurb for each one. there's just too much to say. Yeah. And now I kind of regret doing that because I feel a little tired right now. (laughs) But it is done, Kat. It is completed. And I like that we had for our 200th episode and for the end of this, we got to actually talk. It's kind of a shitty setup, but it was a lot of fun. I'm sure you have opinions on the Top 25 RPG Countdown. I'm sure that there are plenty of you who don't think that Chrono Trigger is the best, Uh, even though a lot of other groups uh, agree that Chrono Trigger is the best RPGs. So, I mean... You're in the minority if you don't think it's the best. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry and as we conform. all know, majority rules. Yeah, conform or die. Or, you know, it could be like Game Informers say Skyrim's the best. Lol. Uh, I love Skyrim, but nah. Nah, I like Skyrim a lot, but it's not even on this list. Take that, Game Informer. <laughs> I, <laughs> Owned. I, this entire list is a giant take that to Game Informer, who, by the way, I love. I, yeah, I, I love like all Game of them. I love, I love all of those guys. You guys, guys. are cool. So yeah, if you have an opinion, send me a note at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or tweet at me or something and we'll read your opinions on the show. And on that note, let's go on to the mailbag. You know, Nadia, as I complete this episode, 
I realized that there is a little bit of a gap in my RPG knowledge, and that is I'm not super well-versed in the Trails series, like Trails yeah. in the Sky and Trails of Cold Steel. I'm not at all. I'm sure that there are people who are listening to that going, oh my god, how can you not mention Trails of Cold Steel or Trails in the Sky at all? Like, those were amazing RPGs that totally deserve to be it. So anyway, I gave you a copy of Trails of Cold Steel yes. on PS4. It's sitting right next to you right now. Yes, it's very pretty. It came in the mail... Uh, it's on PS4 right now. So I think it's time to rectify that little gap in our RPG knowledge, don't I you think? I will be playing it, yes, once yeah. I am finished with RDR2. Yeah, I've played some Trails of Cold Steel, and I've played some Trails in the Sky as well, but yeah. uh, I think Schreier really loves those games. They're so huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, they should definitely be an honorary mention in this top 25 RPG list. And so maybe... you know I'll give it a try, and we'll talk about it, and we'll see if we, we screwed up. All right. Okay, so let's go to the mailbag really quickly. Max Bebo says, I played Planescape Torment for the first time two years ago in preparation for running a planar-based D&D campaign. It was a great inspiration, although the philosophical debates between the various planes and factions is really, really hard to replicate. So I mostly just use the locations. If you're a fan of philosophy, psychology, or religious studies, PT is a must-play. Although there are several points at which you will find exactly one NPC in an area with dozens of them, and pick a specific line of dialogue in order to advance the plot, and I very much recommend a guide. Most of the characters are walking contradictions. Fall from Grace is a mostly chase succubus. Nordam is a free-thinking Modron, who are mechanical constructs that only follow orders. Valor is a mercy killer charged with killing the nameless one, but forgets who he is and ends up following him. (laughs) Although he can be reminded of it later and will go hostile. You will almost certainly find one or more characters that teach you something about life, and if not some, hopefully, you'll at least find the concept of a brothel of slaking intellectual lusts amusing. And then they have some quotes, including, Endure, and enduring grow strong. And then, There is great strength in numbers, but there is great power in one. For the strength of the will of one may gather numbers to it. There is strength not only in knowing the self, but knowing how to bring it forth to others. In others, that is. Okay. Uh, you may recall that we were talking a little bit about Final Fantasy VII in the last episode. Yes. And its comparisons to FF6. Steve Gasm <laughs> <laughs> says... When it comes to that whole FF7 thing you were talking about, I grew up on RPGs, the first one being Ultima 4 on the NES, and then on the typical greats and not-so-greats through the 8- and 16-bit era. No one can deny that FF7 is the most important RPG I've ever made, in which somebody immediately starts to deny that. Yeah, uh, There is no arguing that, and I fully understand why people hold it dear, as I would have it in my first RPG. The problem for me is that it wasn't my first RPG. I had to follow up on your number one pick. To go from 6... To number one RPG of all time, to seven, I think they meant Chrono Trigger. <laughs> the game really didn't do anything innovative systems-wise. FF7 released seven, several months after Diablo, and it was in the same window as Fallout and Ultima Online, followed by Bioware and Bethesda's Rise and EverQuest. What it boiled down to is FF7 was still running another iteration of the tired old system from FF4. And while other developers were doing new and interesting things... What I remember of FF7 was that I was very hyped for it, being a massive Square fan at the time, but ended up being disappointed. Well, I mean, okay, FF7 does not really, strictly speaking, go with the FF4 system, because FF7 has actually a lot more customiz- customization. Yeah, uh, for one thing, you're not trapped with your party members. You can you can switch out uh, as soon as you have them. And well, I- actually, Steve Gasm, <laughs> <laughs> allow me to explain how Final Fantasy works to you. Huh. Uh, and, of course, Cochambra says, uh, yeah, I'm going to argue that. <laughs> what do you think is the most important RPG ever made? 
Oh, God. Um, the original Dragon Warrior? I would say maybe the original Dragon Warrior, if you're talking in the context of consoles, definitely. For computers? Ultima? Ultima? I was Ultima, Ultima 4? Yeah. Probably Ultima 4, right? Yeah. Because it really changed the way that we thought about RPGs exactly. and influenced so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably Ultima 4 is one of the most important. Final Fantasy 7, certainly Not up so, there. Yeah, it's up there. It but... helped popularize RPGs in America. Exactly. I yeah. mean, console RPGs. Console RPGs, yes. Yeah, uh, PC RPGs were already fairly uh, popular. Um so, uh, Rider Kicker says, Kat, you've convinced me to try out Vampire the Masquerade, even though I'm still playing Assassin's Creed Origins <laughs> Super Mar- Robot Wars X right now. I won't play Witcher 3 yet, even though $15 for the complete edition is a great deal. Oh, that is good. But I would like to save a few more dollars. Uh, Siggy Zara says, So, Planescape, FF6, and Final Fantasy VII feature amnesiac protagonists? That's a trifecta, and I've been watching Kamen Rider build, and that features lots of amnesia. Uh, Satellite of Love. Oh, by the way, Mike Williams loves Kamen Rider. <laughs> he would. He would totally love it. I could see that. You didn't know that? I did not know that, but that's amazing. Is he like... Oh, oh he's top? huge. You should ask him over dinner. I will. Uh, Satellite of Love says, I also liked how this game intentionally upended hoary CG- CRPG tropes. You're not an unknown rookie, as everyone knows you. Rats are not level one fodder. They are some of the nastiest enemies. <laughs> <laughs> and Kamer Law says... As you said, definitely some interesting comments in this episode that said none of the assertions you made were more contentious than your declaration in the 1231-2018 episode that we will have forgotten about Octopath Traveler in five years. <laughs> Gamer Law is still on that Octopath Traveler train. I still love Octopath Traveler. Irene Amain, a big fan of both you and the podcast, but boy, I look forward to seeing that one proven wrong. <laughs> have a great time at PAX, and congratulations on approaching 200 episodes of the podcast. You might not be wrong, actually. I think enough people liked Octopath Traveler that it will be remembered in five years, and there will be some people who are very happy if there's a sequel. There's definitely going to be a sequel. They've all but said that. Uh, the mobile game that's coming out is kind of meant to be a placeholder between the games. Uh, I think they outright said, oh, we need a little more time for a sequel. All right, Gamer Law. So it's only March, and you're proving me wrong. So there. I, I, I take your word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Octopath Traveler, it is well established. Yes. And and popular. I bow to your authority. <laughs> it is done. It is done. And also this episode is done. Woo. Axel Blug out of the CEO's Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please make sure to subscribe and all of that jazz. We have a newsletter. Yes. And it comes out every Wednesday. Has a little op-ed from you, m- myself, or from Nadia where we talk about different things in the RPG space. And we also summarize all of the RPG news for the week. Subscribe to that. Have it come into your mailbox every single Wednesday. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I, I did the latest uh, one. I actually wrote a lot of it on the plane on the way down to PAX. <laughs> what, what, what was the, uh, the, uh, the op-ed about? Uh, I was just basically talking about how, um, with the way things are going so with digital, of course, with the, the Stadia and Apple Arcade, and I'm just thinking about how, even though I am very much into digital games because they're so convenient... I feel like RPGs going digital completely would be kind of be, you know, we'd be missing something. So I was reminiscing about the days of how I went out and like saved up for these art for these RPG cartridges that cost like a hundred dollars or more, and I still have them. I'll never get rid of them. And I just feel like maybe RPGs, you know, if if that goes totally digital, we'll, we'll miss out on something that was kind of special yeah if they go totally digital i mean how can i possibly prop my microphone up (laughs) on this giant valkyria chronicles 4 box that was a good game i really enjoyed valkyria chronicles 4 it was a good 
game, wasn't it? It was. You want to talk about good supporting characters? Kai was a great character. Uh, no, the the thing, the funny thing about Valkyria Chronicles is that you rarely ever see them actually talk, especially in the original. But they feel so memorable to you. They, they all do. had like their cult audiences. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was pretty cool. So. Yeah, so we're going to go out and have dinner, and don't worry, uh, Axe of the Blood God will be back <laughs> next <laughs> yeah, we week. Were, we're not done yet. Like, uh, I don't know how, if I have another 100 episodes in me, but we're yeah. still going. You might. Yeah, as long as I'm at US Gamer, we're probably going to still do the Axe of the Blood God, because yeah. it feels a little dumb to kill it at this point. <laughs> yeah, come on, we're having fun. Yeah, and we have somehow, we've been doing this for 200 episodes, we haven't run out of things to talk about yet. There's always something to talk about. So many new RPGs coming out, yeah. one way or another, right? Because yeah. it's such a vibrant genre. Thank you to everybody who has been following us over this journey over the past four years. Um, every week I spend about five hours recording and editing this podcast and the very nice words that you have to say, make it all worth it. And it makes it all worth it for Nadia when she comes on the show as well. So thank you. Thank you to all of the guests who have been coming on the show and thanks to everybody who have, you know, discovered that RPGs are great or discovered a new RPG. Uh, we think you're awesome and we think this genre is awesome. So all right. We'll be back next week as usual for episode 201. Mm. Who knows what we're going to do now that we have the top 25 RPG countdown off our it's plate. It's all anarchy from here on out. <laughs> the blood god is ready to burst <laughs> from beneath the floor. Fire will be raining down from the sky. At last you have said the magic words. Chrono Trigger is number one RPG of all time. Repent now. Repent now for you have sinned and said that Skyrim is the best RPG. <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week. Until then, happy adventuring.